Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out for the ultimate and commercial broker training, CommercialAgentSuccess.com. We have an interesting show today. You know, when sometimes when the market's in a little bit of turmoil, a lot of people like to get educated, go back to school or stay in school. Uh, and the real estate programs around the country have really been improving. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to touch on opportunity zones. And then one of my favorite subjects right now, we're going to talk a little bit about the office market. What's in store? When will demand be back? When will these office buildings be occupied? What's going to happen there with value and, and demand and use? Please welcome my guest. We have Lynn McKee here, a lecturer with Georgia State and I guess other places around the country. Welcome. Uh, and John Wiley with Bowers Professor of Real Estate at uh, Georgia State. Thanks for being with us. Well, first of all, let's uh, talk about uh, your program there at Georgia State. Uh, what kind of degrees your offers? Tell us about the program. Yeah, thanks for having us back. Um, we, you know, last time we talked about, you know, I think Atlanta Commercial Real Estate, we're talking about Masters in Commercial Real Estate is probably the most relevant program for your audience. Um, that program is currently ranked number seven, U.S. News and World Report. Um, we have, uh, you know, the biggest change since the last time we talked was uh, we took it online, uh, not totally online. So you have this maximum flexibility where if you're a student, you can show up to as many classes as you want over the course of the year or none of them and take all of them virtually. Um, but if you want to show up in person, it's, you know, Buckhead, one year, you know, program, show up on Mondays and Wednesdays, 530. You know, the classes, you're super applied. Every class is, you know, focused on ownership of commercial real estate. Um, we actually did that right before uh, COVID in, in 2020. So you're learning from these, uh, I don't know if you want to call it trendsetters or something like that, yeah. but we we're ahead of the Stumbled curve in this it. really <laughs> weird way that we were already taking it to the Board of Regents to, to make it with that maximum flexibility. The reason we were doing that is because uh, we have this kind of distinct program. We're the only program in the world called a Master's in Commercial Real Estate, and we're the only one that focuses totally on ownership of uh, commercial real estate and all the decisions you need to, to make to to own and you know to you know to take it today we have a student from uh, uh, Botswana uh, who joins us at like 12:30 you know a.m. his time and sits through you know four hours of, of class uh, into the night so it's a level of motivation and tapping into a global market that, that we haven't seen before um, but yeah masters of commercial real estate you're totally right uh, we are counter cyclical we had a doubling of our you know class size we normally try to keep it at you know, 20, 25 students, and we jumped to about 45, 50 students this year. Um, you know, PhD in real estate you can get. Uh, it's very research focused. We only have you know, two or three students at a time, and anybody who says they want to get a PhD in, in real estate, I'll try to talk you out of it first. Before, <laughs> uh, uh, and then undergrad in real estate, that's really more catered to your you know, entry point into the industry. Um, you, know, you don't have an undergraduate degree yet. A lot of people don't know what it means to get an undergrad in real estate, and they think, oh, you don't, you don't need that to sell houses and well you know the real estate profession is a lot more than that and there's you know leasing agents and appraisers and all kinds of other entry points in the industry um, but once you're in the industry for for a moment uh, then we, we see the masters in commercial real estate really be a good uh, stepping stone and, and a lot of success stories I don't know if you want to yeah. go with um, one of the things that makes our master's program uh, different than a lot of universities is that it's primarily taught by real estate professionals uh, we have 10 classes uh, eight of those classes are taught by real estate professionals who work in the real estate business every day. They're a mortgage banker, they're a developer, uh, they do market analysis, and then they come teach our students at night. So it's very applied 
uh, we also bring in a lot of guest speakers. Sometimes we joke and say that us uh, us instructors are just there to put the show on so the guest speakers can come in. And our, I mean, we really bring in the who's who of Atlanta real estate and come in and speak to our students. You're the Johnny Carson, right? Here's somebody. And, um, and then uh, we make sure that they make themselves available for relationships, for mentoring, for stuff like that. So when we talk to our students, the guest speakers and that the instructors actually do this real estate every day seem to be the two things that really pop out. Yeah. I, I like in the Master's of Real Estate program how you offer in online and in class because I know a lot of these classes are just online. It seems like a lot of those students are kind of disappointed when that's their only option. Yeah, I mean, I think there's different learning styles for different people, right? And so some some students are going to learn very well online, and some you know literally can't or don't live in Atlanta, right? And so we're having some of those students in our in our class. Um, uh, in other cases, though, uh, you know, I mean, I wish that I could say it's all about the skills that they're going to get and all about the textbook knowledge that I'm going to you know impart, and it's not. What I've seen is the biggest success stories over you know my decade at, at GSU is uh, the connections, the relationships that happen, the people who are from industry who are willing to come in and mentor our students and help them you know, find entry points into the field and navigate uh, that field. And, um, and so the students who show up in person are hungry for that. They want that engagement of the, uh, as Lynn calls the C-suite of you know, Atlanta real estate. Um, and uh, you know, others uh, are you know, here you know, you know, for the content and to learn and you know, you know, get the skills, the immersive you know, case experience and, and those kinds of things. Yeah, one of the things that we do um, in, in our and when we when we teach online is it's and this is an academic word it's done synchronously. Okay, very little of it is asynchronously. That is, there are people in the room and there are people online and they're all experiencing the same time. We use WebEx. Actually, everybody in the room and online all go into WebEx, uh, so they have a common a common thing, and then. Um, you know, we have their, their pictures up on the board, the little Hollywood Squares thing. So we're able to not only teach to in the room, but teach online and call people out and say, hey, Joe, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? We really work hard to bring that online into the room as much as we can. And it's not easy. I, I think I told you, I have great new appreciation for our school teachers mm -hmm. that are doing, most that's what school teachers are doing or they're doing, it's called a hybrid way to teach. And it's difficult. It's really difficult. But um, we think we think we make that online experience as in the room as you can get it. Right and you have to make it engaging. I think you know. I know you have recently talked about you know zoning and things like that. And and if you if you focus only on textbook content lecture, uh, you can't say you know hey turn to page twenty six in your textbook. And if you're in front of a planning you know department, they've got pitchforks and torches, and you, you just read this paragraph and it works every time. Instead. You know, you need to throw a student in a situation and say, "All right, here's here's where you're at. How do you how do you maneuver in that?" Yeah. So, any of my listeners or viewers from around the world or around the country can attend. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. If they have a if they have to have a bachelor's, yeah, uh, it's really targeted for somebody who has you know at least an ounce or you know uh, orbiting around commercial real estate industry. I think, um, and you know. Uh, but, but yeah, anybody in the world could, uh, could apply for this program. So the Master's in Real Estate then is geared more toward uh, asset managers and, and developers and... Mm, I would say it's, it's all the way across the board. It's investors, it's developers, it's lenders, it's asset managers, it's brokers, it's anything that touches commercial real estate. Uh, it's a very broad, um, you know, program. A lot of commercial, a lot of... Uh, Masters in commercial real estate programs are development focused. 
so that you're only learning about development. For instance, if you go down to tech, you're going to take some real estate classes, but you're also going to take building management. You're going to take an architecture class and, and, a, and, a, and a civil engineering class. We're more the finance ownership in be that development or investment of commercial Yeah, what, what do you need to know to own? So development at a given point is about 2% of any city. Sometimes yeah. it's 0%, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's maybe a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the, owner, the, the, the rest of the skyline needs to be owned by someone throughout the cycle. And we're teaching, you know, how do you do that? Well, you, you got to, you know, pick a good asset, <laughs> bring money to it, and manage the asset, put users in it. Um, but I think it, it kind of breaks down, down into three different um, career paths. Some go into commercial brokerage. Um, some go into take an entre entrepreneurial path. And so they're interested in sort of a you know, private equity investment fund or being a real estate developer, actually. Um, and then the other is more institutional type jobs. And that is your, your, your analyst, asset management, whether it's on the, on the debt side or the equity side of, of the business or some consulting. But they want the steady paycheck, they're more risk averse type uh, than maybe the commercial brokers and entrepreneurial uh, groupings. Well, yeah, it sounds like a great program. I, I get a lot of people to come to me for career advice and commercial real estate. And sometimes they come to me and they want to work at, at my office and my shop. And I'm like, well, really, what do you want to do? Well, really want to be a developer and owner and all that. Well, you don't want to work yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> Go get your master's in real estate at Georgia yeah. State. Why don't yeah. you do that? Yeah. Uh, well, our students are, are really across the board. Uh, we'll get them all the way from students that have just come out of their, with their business degree and maybe have done an internship in real estate or something. They'll come into the program. Uh, I would say probably the biggest group are people who have graduated maybe two, three years ago. And they'll graduate with a business degree, but not necessarily real estate. It'll be finance or accounting or something. And they'll have stumbled into commercial real estate somewhere. Their first job, somehow they got into commercial real estate. And they'll realize, wow, this is a really great industry. I think I want to make a career out of it. And then they'll come back to our masters to say, okay, now I want to learn the whole field as much as I can versus just picking it up over the next 10 years. Um, so we really catapult their, their uh, careers because uh, when they come out, they're so much more qualified. They're not just the guy cranking the numbers. Now they're the deal manager managing the deal or now they are the broker out making the money and stuff. So yeah, we, helps. we see a lot of Delta over the course of a, a year. Almost every student changes jobs or their employer moves them up rank to try to keep them. Um, over the course of a year, almost every student, in fact, in the first three months or so of the year, big part of that is they get ARGA certified, they're on CCA and Fast Track, and they can go ahead and put, hey, I'm getting graduated with my master's within a year uh, from the time that they start. Uh, you mentioned, you know, your audience uh, worldwide. I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's two potential audiences. One is uh, prospective students, which I think that we've talked about kind of the value of that. But I think another one is uh, possible employers. Um, and, you know, something that's really interesting about Georgia State University I mean, I don't think it's any kind of secret that uh, the commercial real estate industry has some, somewhat of a diversity problem and uh, our challenge. And uh, uh, we have, you know, 50% of our class is female, more than 50% is minority. And, you know, whether uh, that's, a, you know, an important initiative of, of, of a given firm or not, just the, the level of skills that we're giving them. Uh, so it appeals to both sides, but we normally have more jobs uh, than students. And so people who are wanting to move up in the field and get more, we have people knocking on our door for those reasons and for the, the skill set that they're getting. Yeah, I think the industry uh, realizes they want the value. 
uh, to their firms of the diversity. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that's fantastic. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about opportunity uh, funds and opportunity zones and what's happening there. But then a subject that I really like to talk about, and that's office use, what's the future look like? Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Would you like a more inviting and safe environment for your property? Check out the ION technology for your heat and air system from Core Green Technologies. It's effective, safe, and won't break the budget. Visit core.green to learn more. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This segment is brought to you by Core.Green. They kill 99% of COVID in your HVAC, and it does it in 10 minutes. So check it out. It's Core.Green. Well, please welcome my guests. It's Lynn McKee and John Wiley there with Georgia State. And we were talking about the program, incredible program you guys have at Georgia State, and people from all around the country uh, and really all around the world can, can apply uh, so do check it out at uh, Georgia State. But I want to ask you guys a little bit about kind of what you're seeing in, in commercial real estate world. And first, if we could uh, touch, uh, John, on, on Opportunity Zone. So um, you, you've looked into it a little bit. Kind of what, what are you seeing right now? Yeah, sure. So normally you talk to probably a, an industry practitioner. I think Lynn is, uh, fits in that category very well, and they see it. And maybe even forward-looking. Mm -hmm. I'm a financial economist, I'm very backward looking. And so I kind of like take all the data and try to see, you know, what is, what does that kind of story tell us? And the question is kind of simple. It's, uh, you know, if you bought uh, an industrial property in an opportunity zone, you know, how much, how much of those prices change? Mm -hmm. And, um, but well, it's messy because industrial has gone up over time. So, you know, we take all the data from CoStar over the last, you know, a uh, couple decades, as much as they have, 270,000 industrial transactions. And we go, you know, here's one that was eligible, but wasn't picked for an opportunity zone. And here's one that was an opportunity zone. And let's just kind of look at before it changed and then after. We're kind of comparing these two, you know, things and how, how different is it? And it turns out 25%. That's how much more these properties have gone up. But it's not one size fits all. It's the, the properties that have the largest uh, amount of land are basically like the lowest coverage ratios. Those ones are where all the premiums are concentrated because you have the optionality of throwing that extra 100% into the... Um, and it's really in the markets where there's good trajectory. There needs to be, you know, some probably, you know, more than 2% employment growth or more than 2% population growth. And those are where, so, um, you know, the market, the opportunity zones that are kind of off track, they haven't found those premiums. Uh, when I've heard people talk about opportunity zones and, and haven't really looked at the data, what I hear them talk about is this, you know, landslide of money that has gone into opportunity zones and how it could vacuum all this money out of the stock market for capital gains and just throw it in. And, you know, when I look at it, I really don't see that. I actually see it's just a few properties that are being cherry-picked and, and paid a, a premium for. And if you were to take, you know, how much uh, 
deal volume went into an opportunity zone before or went into these types of areas before versus after and compare that to all the deal volume that was going in, it actually went down a little bit. It actually got a little bit less than their fair share. Um, and, and so it's, uh, you know, basically kind of formalizing and providing, you know, the empirical evidence to support what a lot of people were probably already seeing in the marketplace and just kind of going, okay, so that's really how they work. You know? yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, if you're looking at two identical or fairly identical opportunities that aren't, can't be fun deals, they're just commercial real estate deals, right? And you look at two different locations, might you think of something in opportunity zone, well, maybe there's going to be more development, maybe there's going to be more uh, increase in development and tenants in that area is that maybe part of why you saw some value increases? Yeah, so some so some that you're saying were not from the opportunity zone uh, selected. They're looking for that positive externality, like maybe there's some momentum that's going to happen here. And if you're playing that, I would, from what I'm seeing, it looks like you really want to be in a market that already has positive trajectory in, in, in terms of uh, employment growth and population growth. Beyond that. The other class of ways you can classify markets don't matter as much. It doesn't matter if it's a low income or middle, you know, within that stratosphere. Exactly. All right. Well, good. Well, let's talk about the office a little bit, Linda. Um, a lot of the office high rises with elevators, buildings around the country aren't being used. Uh, and the uh, asset managers and things and, and appraisers, everybody's like, hey, wondering, hey, what's going to happen to the future of office space? Uh, although I go... I sell office buildings, and I'm experiencing the same thing, but I'm seeing some office buildings that are very active, uh, medical, government leased, and then a lot of the suburban, smaller, one, two-story walk-in, a lot of those buildings in the suburban markets in the southeast seem to be really active. Um, what's the future of office demand? What's well, going to happen? What's if I knew I wouldn't be a professor and I'd be up <laughs> buying or selling office buildings. Um, it's, it's really hard to figure out right now. But you guys, you studied it. We did. We studied it. And um, it, it's, um, we're at an inflection point right now that half the market thinks that basically no one's ever going to be in an office again in their life and downtowns are going to be empty and stuff. And the other half of the market, usually the landlords think, no, nothing's going to happen to office at all. And we think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, you've got two forces that are pulling. One force is work from home. And that is, um, uh, you know, I don't need an office. I don't need people in the office. So why should I lease so much space? So that may mean I don't lease any space. Or more likely, they're going to keep a core amount of space. But a good, good portion of their employee base is going to be, is going to be out working someplace else. Okay? So that's going to shrink demand for office. Um, but then you have the other side, and that is, over the years, we have crammed so many people on our offices. I think we're down to something like an average 150 square foot per person in a lot of offices, and that's going to make people very uncomfortable, even in the post-pandemic period. So they have to spread people out. Well, if you spread people out, what's that mean? That means you need more square footage. So you've got a, a, a pull and a push going on, and where it balances out, I don't know. Uh, Green Street uh, has done some analysis and run some numbers and stuff. They're seeing a 10 to 15% reduction in office demand over the medium term. Now, does that mean every building's going to become 10 or 15% more vacant? No, but they just see that amount of reduction in, in office space. That's interesting. We, we've been very active during COVID and dealing with a lot of companies, vendors, attorneys, uh, funds, people working from home. And it's been really disappointing to the efficiency, the time of dealing with anybody work from home. So from my viewpoint of just dealing with, with businesses that are working from home, it's pretty frustrating. And if I'm given the choice 
uh, you know, I was dealing with a big law firm, big, big, great attorney, and he's working at home. I'm getting comments on contracts that are ink I can't read and mm -hmm. turn different ways. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, so it seems like when people are given the choice again to deal with companies and people working from home or not, it seems like the efficiency of being in the office is, is going to help productivity. So, so you see some uh, industries that are, you know, okay, this one is going to be sticky and it has a need for a fundamental human need for people to, you know, engage and, and be there in person. And you go down the line and here's ones where, okay, we don't, you know, we're fine working from home. We can just get on a call and, and that's easy. Um, but even within those industries, I think that you're going to have different firms and some firms uh, are, are going to do a good job of answering this question of how do we use office space in, a, in the right way and, and still preserve that in-person culture. And those, those firms are going to attract the employees because there's different people. So just like we have students who, you know, want to learn online or want to be in person, the ones that want to be there plugged in and engage and feel that culture, uh, they're, they're going to be attracted to those firms. And these other ones will maybe have uh, a different, you know, work from home culture. But it's, I think it's going to be a much bigger challenge to establish a true, you know, sense of, you know, cohesion and, yeah. and, and, and community in place at those types of firms. So I think age, age is also an issue. And that is older folks like me who I've established in my career, I have my network, I have my contacts, you know, all this kind of stuff. I've probably learned, um, I keep learning skills, so I probably have learned most of my skills. I can sit in my office at home and work and probably be just as productive. Mm -hmm. It's our younger associates that are coming in and they're new in the field or they're working their way up and stuff. Not being in the office means you don't have the opportunities uh, to network, it's the cooler, you know, it's the water cooler talk, it's uh, the collaboration, all that kind of stuff. It's learning the company culture and, and, and maintaining the company culture. Um, I do have a fear maybe we move too much, too much towards work from home, and I think companies are going to be hurt by their lack of culture and their lack of creativity and their lack of, of, of can you imagine how you onboard a new, a new employee? It's tough. Here, here's your, here's your computer, you know, there you are. And any big company is constantly bringing in new people. So I think there's a lot of the soft stuff that uh, we have to have offices for and we need offices for. Yeah. So I'm not in the camp that they're all going to go away, but I do think we're going to go through a period of less office demand uh, until the market kind of shakes itself out. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, oh, come to work with us. You're going to love our culture, our people. Uh, oh, you're going to be at home by yourself. Yeah, that's the street <laughs> right here. There you go. There you go. You'll never really meet those yeah. people. The other One other area that, that, that is concerning from an investor and particularly from a lender standpoint is the cash flow. I mean, what an investor and particularly a lender wants is stable long-term cash flow. Well, what tenants want now is more flexibility. So the idea of signing a 10 or 15 year lease for the majority of your space, I think that's I think that's going to change a lot. I think you're going to see even big companies that are going to lock down a portion of their need for 10 or 15 years. But the rest of their space, they're going to want it on a very flexible, um, you know, maybe the, maybe it's the co-working space that comes back and stuff. So that as their organization changes, they're not locked into these leases where they have to do these massive subleases and stuff. So from an investor and particularly from a lender standpoint, I think it's going to be challenging uh, for, the, for the stability of the cash flow coming out of an office building. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I recently closed an office building that had a lot of small suites and um, a lot of kind of month-to-month -month tenants. And, and the lender got to that point and said, uh, I can't click this box. There's a problem. And I said, well, if this was a building, you could click that box. You should maybe have a problem. But this building has a waiting list. 
and it has occupancy that's proven to be from 95 to 100% all the time in every cycle. Uh, so there is a demand for this small tenant flexible lease situation. Um, but to your point, you know, uh, you know, if you have a, a large operation, you really want to know that you can stay in a place and you're controlling occupancy costs with a long-term lease. Right, right. But not all your space. Yeah. You probably want a gradient of space. And we also are, are, are expecting to see there's no reason for everyone to come out downtown in the big building. Uh, a lot of people are talking about hub and spoke where the company, the company will still have its hub in a major urban area. That's where collaboration and all those things happen. But there'll be a lot more spokes out in suburbs in, in flexible office arrangements where tenants can go to those offices a couple you know, days a week and then maybe come down for one day a week or two days a week to have the big meetings and the training and stuff like that. So just a lot of flexi flexibility is the word we keep hearing. People want flexibility. Normally, CBD office is the most sensitive, right, to the yeah. business cycle. You yeah. see the vacancy or cap rates or whatever, however yeah. you want to classify it, but yeah. it just it's the one that shoots shoots up the yeah. most. And, and, and you guys are in tune with kind of planning um, issues as well. Uh, so is our traffic woes, are they over now then? With, if we have hub and spoke and work from home? And yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good point. However, uh, when people talk to me about, about flexible schedules, it's funny. People say, I want to work in the office three days a week and home two days a week. Well, guess which two days they want to work at home? <laughs> Monday and Friday. Monday and Friday. Uh, that means everybody is on the road yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. and you still have this, you still need the same amount because everybody wants to be in that office on Wednesday. So I don't know how we're going to deal with that, but I think it could certainly have different flows of traffic. Uh, be, being that. in Atlanta, and that is one of the few really nice positives of this whole thing. Yeah. There's been no traffic. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Yeah. I uh, at one time had an office in uh, Midtown and then one in the perimeter office and um, told one of my clients that, uh, and, that, and he said, where are you going to work? I said, well, I'm going to work in Midtown in the morning, perimeter in the afternoon. He said, oh, okay, Michael. That means no one in your office in the perimeter will be working in the morning and no one in your office in Midtown will be working in the afternoon. <laughs> you know, so I think maybe the, the productivity, you know, you mentioned the, the work from home people want to work, work from home Friday and Monday. Long weekend? Uh, you know, what is that? And then you see these... Um, surveys of people saying, oh, you, we surveyed um, employees, quote-unquote employees, and 90% of them say they're more productive at home. Wait, you asked the employees? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about the, the manager who's right. actually checking the productivity? Right. Right. Did you ask him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're saying they weren't, or they were they, more. The, the employees say they are productive. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think everybody's on their best behavior. <laughs> Whoever's yeah. right? Because companies this. are cutting back, right. and everybody's trying to look really busy right now. Yeah. And I'm not saying there's people that don't sign into their computer and their VPN and then let it sit there all day so it shows that they're on their computer. Yeah. But I think you're right. I, I think as time goes by, um, you'll see productivity even fall more uh, because of just the natural tendency of sleeping in late on Mondays, taking off at noon on Friday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The yeah. cynic in me says... Whoever, you know, who, who did that survey and were they watching Netflix in the background while they were working from <laughs> right. home trying right. to justify yeah. their existence? Yeah. yeah, yeah. so the, the surveys say they're more productive, but yet uh, Netflix uh, <laughs> yeah. is really yeah. busy. Yeah. Look, look at the Netflix crazy. data from those locations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so something's not, so uh, not mentioned right here. You know, it, it seems to me that, uh, as you said, kind of the jury's out. 
once we get uh, immunity, right? Yeah. Uh, herd immunity yeah. or get the vaccines out, I guess that's when we really see what's, what's going to happen. Now, uh, we talked to a lot of office owners, large asset managers of, of office owners, um, and I think you alluded to this, they're not nervous at all. They're like, no, everything's fine. They can't afford to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Obviously, they've got to be on the positive but side. They, As I've heard, had them tell me, you know, we think office will be just fine because we own a lot of office. Yeah. You know, and that's just natural. Well, I'll tell you, the, I was forced to work at home for a little while, had COVID, um, really could not stand it. And I have a nice home and it wasn't anybody bothering me, but 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 personally, I just I just did not like it. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, no commute, but it just I love being in yeah. the office. And maybe it's because of your office. And to your point, I think more square footage per person uh, is going to be. And then and then wellness. You know, these yeah. these these buildings need to be safe. You, yes. If you look at our office, we have over 500 square feet per person. We have a lot of plants. Uh, we have kind of a safe environment. And I did that before COVID. Uh, on the square footage per person because I'm a germaphobe anyway. Mm -hmm. If you told me I had to work and you were going to double my pay, but I had to work on a bench with 100, 150 square foot per person, I'd say no. Yeah. I uh, yeah. cut my cut my salary to 25% and give me 1,000 square feet. Right, right, <laughs> right. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the mechanical systems of buildings. I mean, your sponsor, you know, obviously is, is, is a system that helps cut down. I think we're going to see, we have a student in our, in our master's program that works for one of the very large mechanical contractor designers in the country. And he said that they are just overwhelmed with clients contacting them. What should we do? What should we do? And their advice is don't do anything right now. Put some different filters in so you can at least say that you've done something. But the technology is going to evolve, and you don't want to spend a million dollars going in one direction at this point. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think just like green buildings now, you know, LEED certified yeah, is a big check mark. Uh, I think healthy building is going to be a big check mark also at some point. Well, I would, I would share with my listeners, and you, and, and you might have a different opinion as a listener, but I expect to, and myself, if I go in an A-class building, I don't think I should have to touch anything. I don't think I should have to touch the doors to get in or out mm -hmm. of the building or the bathrooms. Mm -hmm. I don't think I should have to touch anything. Why are we all touching things? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't seem right. So I hope, and I'm, I'm, I, we're in a, uh, I guess, a, a Class A building here. It's not a really big high-rise, but it's a nice building. Mm -hmm. And they did do a lot of touchless things. Uh, but still, you have to touch the door to get in the building. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, have somebody open the door for us or yeah. something. Yeah. Get us back in these buildings. Everybody, get these buildings feeling comfortable and safe. We can get people back to work, get the economy uh, back uh, productive, right? Any last words for our audience related to office opportunity zones or, or about timing to get education? Well, um, you know, one other group that we didn't mention of our students are mid-career people that have been in the business for maybe 10 or 15 years and have said, you know, I never really, I've learned a lot, I've done a lot in my career, but I never really learned and got the well-rounded um, whole picture of commercial real estate. So they've come back and, and they're taking this at night to, you know, enhance their career. We had a 72-year-old in our program two years ago. Yeah, they don't care so about it's the not just for the young. Yeah, it's not just for the young. They want, they want, to, they want the knowledge. They want the knowledge right? and the contacts. I would, yeah. I would say, 
Um, you know, I've spent my career as a real estate professor, and everybody's like, I didn't even know you needed such a thing. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we are what economics was 100 years ago, what, you know, finance was, you know, 50 you know, years ago. Uh, we're young as an academic field, and people, um, you know, there's dirt underneath everything. So you talk to the real estate people, and we're like, no, it's the most important thing. And, and everybody else is like, yeah, but you're what percent of the stock market or whatever, you know. Um, and I believe that uh, there is a need for people to get educated in real estate and that, uh, you know, you can see what happened in, in financial markets. The people who got educated started to become sophisticated investors and start taking other people's, you know, lunches, basically. And in commercial real estate, I think that, you know, people who get educated and more sophisticated about it will be able to do a better job of, you know, selecting assets and execute better strategies, you know, on, on managing those assets and, you know, harvesting the capital and moving on, all those kinds of things and, and lending and all, all sides of the business. Um, and, and so I just, I advocate for that. Uh, it's selfish, but it's also, I believe in it. I think that, you know, the, the field is kind of play, it takes a long time, you know, to, to clear this out. I think it'll be the rest of my life, honestly. Well, I, I agree. I have a lot of people ask me whether they're investors um, or they just want to get in the industry in, in some facet. And, and one of the, the it's crazy how they, people think they can get in this business without an education, without yeah. training. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, you wouldn't go be a massage therapist without training. Yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you just you got here? You nails. <laughs> wing yeah. it. I'm yeah. like, oh, well, you're Argus certified. Well, no. Have you taken the CSM classes? Uh, no. Or do you have a degree in real estate? No. Well, what, what are you thinking? Uh, so I, I agree, I think. And that's one reason I created training for commercial agents uh, training uh, at commercialagentsuccess.com. Like I saw this big hole of people of training that just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's very different from what you guys train. Your, your training is sophisticated. <laughs> My, this training is about sales and overcome objections and winning business mm -hmm. and, and about you know the process of, of being a broker. But, uh, well, great information, guys. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, uh, yeah, for, thanks for having us, Michael. Yeah. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining us around the country. Let us know what you think. Uh, we do appreciate uh, your sharing the show with your friends and, and do stay in touch with us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Vista Property Reports. Use smartphone location technology for commercial real estate due diligence. Visit vistapropertyreport.com slash CRE show. Core.green. Use ION technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREshow.com.